You're listening to The Semi-Field Writer. This is a show about my life experiences, my love for entertainment, and of course, my failures. It has to warm up. Why? So it can kill you. I knew that. Children, what are you doing? I'm going to electrocute him. But we're late for the charity auction. But mother... I said no. Please? Oh, all right. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 1313 of the Semi-Failed Writer, and happy Father's Day, Eric. Happy Father's Day. We're going to go back to a regularly scheduled program. We're doing a dumb film debate today. Anybody that's needing a break, tensions are high still. There's still a lot of stress with what we're going through. If you want to just take a moment to kind of escape and laugh either with us or at us as we go into probably the dumbest film debate that we've had on this show. Which is a really good reason why I have to be here. Bring the dumb to the dumbest film debate. But today we're going to debate two movies that came out in the 90s, and they're both uh, spinoffs from TV shows. One is The Addams Family, and the other is The Beverly Hillbillies. And yeah, these two movies don't hold up very well. We watched both of them, and I think I heard you say several times under your breath, this is so stupid. That probably happened. But there's a a similarity. There's a lot of similarities between these two films and these two families. They are uh, two families that are insanely wealthy, and you've got people in both stories trying to take advantage of them. And they both live in communities where they really stick out, and so everybody else in those communities... They're looking down on them. They're making judgments because of how offbeat that they are. But you know what? They don't care. They are unapologetically themselves. They are very happy and content with who they are. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. And it's uh, a nice quality to have that I I hope the rest of us could could live by. But we're going to see not necessarily what's the best movie, but which of the two is better. (laughs) So are you ready for... Are you ready yeah, for this? Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of research for this one. By a lot, I mean a little. By Wikipedia and IMDb. <laughs> Deep dive, man. All right, let's just get started. <laughs> okay, first up in the red corner from 1991, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. They're creepy. They're kooky. Mysterious and spooky. It's the Adams Family. Also, altogether ooky. Oh, yes, I forgot that. Uh, and in the blue corner from 1993, directed by Penelope Spiris, about a family who found bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. It's the Beverly Hillbillies. Let me repeat the rules. There are going to be seven rounds. We'll award a point after each round, and the film with the most points wins. So Eric will be speaking on behalf of the Adams Family, and I will be speaking on behalf of the Beverly Hillbillies. So we're going to go with opening statements first, and I believe I get to go first on this one. So here we go. I have uh, a little known fact for all of you. I took a film comedy class in college, and you think that sounds really entertaining, but it's really difficult to talk about comedy in an academic setting. And so I wrote an essay during that time, and I was comparing two shows that got spinoffs in two films. And one was 
the Beverly Hillbillies, and the other was the Brady Bunch. And surprisingly, I got an A- minus on the paper. I worked really hard, and even the professor totally underestimated me. I don't think she liked me, but she was even surprised that I was able to speak so well on those movies. My point is that the thesis that I had for the Beverly Hillbillies was that the comedy from the TV show aged well. You took this family, the Clampets, from the 1960s, you put them into the 1990s, and they are still funny. Like, that formula still worked for that time. The film is lighthearted, it's goofy, and it's always nice to see the top 1% get disrupted. So today, I am going to argue that the Beverly Hillbillies is better than the Adams Family. All right. Well, I never took that class and never wrote an essay about the Adams Family, but I can still argue. You know, when we're talking about the the Adams Family, of course, it is the resurrection of that sometimes beloved TV family. Uh, but definitely in this in the in the movie, we've got this sort of horror comedy, and uh, the Adams Family is just made up of many unforgettable characters, and you get to see them have a lot of crazy bizarre interactions these scenarios that they're that are taking place uh it's it's pretty entertaining there's a solid cast you've got a bunch of memorable visuals and and all that said it's left a strong legacy okay round one round one is story and i believe i'm going first on this one as well come and listen to my story about a man named jed a poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And, and you know what? I'm not going to recite the entire lyrics to the Beverly Hillbillies theme song. That's just too easy. Uh, but basically, Jed Clampett, patriarch of the family, his sole purpose for moving to California is to help his daughter, Ellie Mae, uh, turn into a young lady, help her become more refined. The reason she's not this way is because she lived without her mother for a very long time. Now, there's this couple, Tyler and Laura. They're scheming. They like to steal people uh, out of their money. And so they find out about the Clampets and their vast wealth, and they decide that they're going to take advantage of them. So Laura decides she's going to pretend to be a French tutor to help Ellie Mae, and she's somehow going to convince Jed that she should be the woman to marry and therefore be able to steal their money. Everybody seems oblivious. I mean, except for Granny, she has her suspicions on... Lorette Valeur. But really the hero of this whole story is Jane Hathaway, who's the personal assistant to the Clampets. Uh, she hires Barnaby Jones. She gets Granny out of the nursing home. And then she monster trucks her way into the wedding and stops it before any damage is done. And what's nice is that you have all these people in Beverly Hills who are just super nice to the Clampets only because they have the money and they have a business interest in keeping a relationship with them, but Jane is the only one that actually genuinely cares about them. She's smitten with Jethro and finds this family to be like good, wholesome family, and she just wants to make sure that they're out of harm's way. So I think that was nice that someone outside that family genuinely cares for them and not because of their money. All right, well, Adam's family centers around a similar sort of story. You have some con artists who want to steal some of the family's riches. And the way that they come up with to try to do it is by placing an imposter who is supposed to be a lookalike for Uncle Fester into their midst and, you know, figure out how to get to the treasure and 
that riches and steal him away. Uh, and then over the course of the story, the imposter starts to gradually realize that he actually legitimately is an Adams, uh, and the plot gets foiled. And, and along the way, uh, you're treated to a lot of dark, morbid, and strange interactions with very weird characters and you know, you come away feeling good for our supernatural protagonists. So yeah, these two, two stories are uh, incredibly similar. There's people trying to con them out of their wealth, and they find a way to prevent that from happening. So who does it better? Is it the Adams Family or the Beverly Hillbillies? So I think that uh, that the Adams Family gets this point. Uh, you know, what kind of struck me, I had never really thought to put the Adams Family up against the Beverly Hillbillies. That's just crazy. But when you watch both movies, you realize that at the heart, it's essentially the same story. And so you have to kind of think about, I guess, the way that it's executed. And and so so I would argue for, for Adams Family winning this point uh, because of all of that, you know, supernatural craziness that's that's going on with, with all of our characters and how maybe that's superior to just you know, this family that's kind of the, the, well, they're super rich, but also kind of the butt of everybody's jokes and and people trying to take advantage of them for that. Also, I feel like hypothetically, if both these scam artists succeeded and got the wealth from both the Adams and the Clampets, the Adams family is definitely worse off. You could, you saw it whenever they were in the, the motel hanging out. The Clampets would have been fine. Like they are, they lost their billion dollars, but they could go back to Arkansas and still be content with the lives that they used to have. So I feel like it's more meaningful that the Adams try to get back the lifestyle that they were accustomed to. So I think Adams family, probably better story. Point for me. Point for you. Round two. Round two is dialogue. All right. And the the Adams family has some some pretty memorable lines uh and i'm gonna to get to a, a few of them that, that i really liked in particular the character wednesday i could maybe just go through the couple that real that i really like uh the most there's one where she's talking to a girl scout um and you know, it's when they have the their lemonade stand and the girl scouts asking if it was real lemons and then wednesday uh, asks her about the the girl scout cookies are they made from real girl scouts <laughs> which is just hilarious. And uh, then also there's one one scene where they're sitting at the table for, for dinner and she asks Uncle Fester, may I have the salt? And then her mom says, what do we say? And she says, now. <laughs> 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 All with like this really serious look that she that she kind of pulled off for the character, which was which was pretty funny. Uh, also, her, her Halloween costume is just what she wears every day because she says, I'm a homicidal maniac. They look just like everyone else not that she really looks like everyone else but uh that's still a pretty funny line uh and then i also feel like i have to talk about some of uh, gomez and morticia's interactions because they have a really really strange relationship obviously because they're just really strange characters but uh they have all these conversations where they they're saying things that are not things that would be good about the person that you're in love with, but for them it is really good. And so you have exchanges like uh, where Gomez says, I would die for her, I would kill for her, either way, what bliss. 
Uh, and then there's also a part where Morticia is talking to Gomez and she says, don't torture yourself, Gomez. That's my job. <laughs> and, and it's all with such joy and, and, and love for each other that they say all of these things that are, that are so bad. So that's really what stands out in the dialogue to me. First, I'll go into the dialogue of the characters not named Clampett. There's two lines in particular that I just always found funny and it stood out. It's where uh, Lorette's talking to Jed and she's trying to say the word happiness, but in her French accent, it comes off as a penis. And it's funny that Jed was able to like figure out what she was saying, but just a really dumbed down joke. And then uh, Tyler's on the phone with Laura and uh, he accidentally switches the lines and he thinks he's still talking to her and he's like, I want to grab your butt and I'm going to squeeze it. And it's his boss. He's like, Tyler, get your hand off my butt. <laughs> Again, it's real dumbed down humor when you say it out loud, but it's still very funny. But a lot of humor does come from the Clampets. A lot of time is spent just getting accustomed to this new environment that they're in and trying to figure out uh, what certain words mean, certain gestures. So whenever they're driving on the freeway, someone gives them the middle finger and Jethro just assumes that I think that's just the way Californians say howdy and so they just start flipping off everybody else and it's very funny that anything that Jethro everybody seems to think that he's the most intelligent one and they agree to whatever his uh, deductions are like what he believes things mean and there's also some funny lines with the high schoolers where uh, Ellie Mae and her new friend Morgan go into I'll get more into like how funny it is how the rich people come off in this movie but they have the wrestler that's a bully and he's picking on morgan to give him his lunch money and you think it's like five ten dollars and morgan's response is you know i only have four hundred dollars in traveler's checks and he's got to give him money quote before the end of business day and so their language is very unusual as well so it's not only just making fun of the clampets for trying to figure out stuff but the unreal language that even the people in beverly hills have so where where are we going with this one? I think there is some humor in both these communities. Like, there's split communities in both of the films. So the Adams family is their own entity, and then you have everybody else who is just normal. There's not much else going on. Everyone's acting straight with this with these neighbors that they have. But there's funny on all sides. Everybody is just acting very strangely in the Beverly Hillbillies, and so I would give the advantage to them. So we're going for the crude humor and making fun fun of the Beverly Hills elitists over strange interactions among strange I, people. I believe so. I believe so. I don't like it, but it is your show. So if, if I lose that point, I guess I'll acknowledge that I lose that point. Okay. So the point goes to the Beverly Hillbillies round three. Round three is characters. The Clampets, they are a very likable family. They're uh, a family that you care about because they're genuinely nice to everybody that they come across. They don't have like a mean-spirited bone in their body. Now, that is a concern because people do try to take advantage of them. They are very trusting to everybody that they're around. But in general, they have very good intentions. And like I said in the dialogue round, even the people that do live in Beverly Hills, they're unusual as well, and they are just as entertaining. They're being made fun of because of the way that they interact. And that's really got all I've got. 
Well, I, I probably don't have to really tell everybody who the characters were and, and really that much about them from the Adams family because I feel like a lot of people remember these characters, but I'm still going to do it just in case. It's been a while. Um, so you obviously have Morticia and, and Gomez who are the mother and father, and they have a, as mentioned in some of the conversation stuff from the dialogue section, they have a really weird romantic sort of almost BDSM strange interactions in their relationship that that's it's kind of fun to watch to play out. Uh, Wednesday steals basically every scene she's in. She's just creepy and delightful throughout. Uh, you have Uncle Fester, who's just this eccentric weirdo who can make a light bulb turn on by sticking it in his mouth, swallow swords, do all kinds of weird stuff, even though he doesn't even remember that he's Uncle Fester until the very end of the movie. Um, and then some of you who have maybe listened to some of the other debates know that I like to kind of punctuate my characters section with something that maybe you wouldn't think about. Um, and so I feel like I have to mention a character whose name I believe translates to Dr. Nuthouse, if that's the correct translation of Pinder Schloss. <laughs> and I'm just going to end with it there. Again, these were already adapted from the families that have been created on the TV sure. shows and in other mediums, too. But uh, I guess the question is, who played it up better? Who translated better into the film versions? And I think with all the scenes that uh, we came across in both of these movies, Pugsley and Wednesday steal the show. Like, every scene that they have, every interaction, was the funniest part of either of those movies. And so I think... They, they win it for the Adams family. Yeah, and the, and the Adams family, I, I do think, probably wins this category. Um, and one thing that I thought about also was when I think about the antagonists in the movie, I don't think that they're really very good. No. Uh, no. I don't think they're particularly memorable, unless you count Fester among that, because he's sort of in on it, doesn't realize who he is, that whole thing. But but the other, like the his mother, well, I can't even remember what her actual name was I in the movie, know. but... Pinderschloss. Uh, so they're not really good, but it doesn't even matter because it's so much fun in in certain ways to just kind of hang out with the Adamses because it's just so bizarre. Uh, and and so with with Beverly Hillbillies, I think um, again because you have the similarity of having the family like you brought up before, who's kind of out of place. The characters are just these stereotypes of you know hill folk from arkansas or whatever it was that it's supposed to be and so yeah it's funny it lends itself to the humor but are the characters really better i i don't think so and what's up with jethro i'm going to ask a question that you actually asked when we were when we were watching the the movie and that is because because my memory is i'm not certain but it was jethro that dumb in the tv show i know he's not a bright bulb and that a lot of the humor has to do with him not being smart but he's just a complete imbecile in the movie oh yeah <laughs> i don't know it was, it was almost jarring in a way like i know he's supposed to be dumb but it was almost to the point of distract distracting i agree i felt like they missed an opportunity there they just wanted to go with the lowest common denominator but yeah, I think they were uh, more dynamic in the other film. All right, chalk up another one for Adam's family. Okay, round four. <laughs> round four is cast and crew. So I'm going to mention all the noteworthy uh, actors from this one. The, the one that, that stands out the most to me, Christina Ricci. She has said that 
that Wednesday Adams was her favorite role. And like I said, with the character, she's pretty delightful as that character. You had Raul Julia playing Gomez Adams, you know, a role that he would get some recognition for, easily recognizable. Uh, Christopher Lloyd wearing a fat suit as Uncle Fester. <laughs> uh, really, he gets to do a lot of the physical comedy. That was, I, it was kind of a fun choice. I think he's so easily recognizable by the things that he does with his face. You know, when you think about other things that he was in, like Back to the Future and how he just, he, his expressions are just immediately recognizable, I think. Uh, Angelica Houston as, as Morticia had to put up with some some strange things behind the scenes, like to look like they wanted the character. But uh, again, good, strong performance there. Uh, and then also the director, you mentioned uh, Barry Sonnenfeld. It was actually his debut, his directorial debut for uh, a film like this and and he would go on to have some success later most notably i think most recognizably with uh, men in black but uh, that's pretty much who's noteworthy from this one i didn't realize when i was until i was looking at the cast list for the beverly hillbillies that this was sort of a nine to five reunion because he had lily tomlin dabney coleman and dolly parton all in this movie and i guess jane fonda was unavailable at the time or something so for the casting, I will first talk about Cloris Leachman. She does a great job as Granny, and surprisingly, she's very spry and fit, I would say, for playing this like elderly woman uh, who's able to run around and do whatever. And then Diedrich Bader has spent his whole career playing these odd comedic characters and does a great job as both Jethro and Jethree. I feel like it made sense to just have him play both since they're siblings and twins. Here are the two surprising casting options. So first there's Jim Varney, and he is playing a role that is not named Ernest. He has made his career out of playing this one character named Ernest and going through all sorts of adventures. At first they didn't want to cast him as as Jed Clampett because they were just worried that everybody would only see Ernest. But he did such a great job in the auditions that they gave him this role. And then you have Erica Eleniak, and prior to this, she was on Baywatch. She was one of the famous lifeguards, and she also was a Playboy model. Like, most of her career was spent being a model, and now she's having to turn and be this rough-around-the-edges tomboy that doesn't have these ladylike qualities. But they pulled it off very well. I think if just hearing it before the movie came out, you would think, I don't know if they could do that, but it worked out pretty pretty well so very good casting choices and some pretty big stars in this as well you also had buddy ebsen who was the original jed clamor from the tv show and i feel like that's a good seal of approval when you've got someone from the original making a cameo appearance and it is funny that they just took the other role that he was famous for which was uh, barnaby jones the tv show that he was in so to deliberate who do you think takes this point I would say, I think the more surprising of the performances was from the Beverly Hillbillies. I feel like if if you never saw the Adams Family in your life and you said, Raul Julia is going to be Gomez, Angelica Houston, she's going to be Morticia Adams, you'd believe that. You're like, yeah, I don't think there's anybody else who would be better suited for those roles. But like I mentioned before, Jim Varney, Erica Laniac. Those were surprising options, but I think it worked very well in this in this film. So I think So with the unexpectedness of them fitting the roles like they did, you're you're saying maybe you would give the edge there? Over, I believe so. 
the cast where where we acknowledge that there's a quality cast there but you would you're like they kind of just do what you expect there yeah that's what i'm going with i don't i don't want to but but i'll let you have the point all right no taking backsies (laughs) if uh you're counting at home it is tied two to two how did that happen round five Round five is music. Now, surprisingly, in the Adams Family, they did not play the original theme song. But here in the Beverly Hillbillies, they did. The original theme song from the TV show fit right in as they were driving into California. There's a lot of country music, and that's particularly not my favorite genre. But it worked very well in this film because it's really putting a lot of focus on the Clampets. I mean, a lot of this is all taking place in Beverly Hills, but the focus is on that family and the world that they bring into the Beverly Hills. And you had artists such as uh, Hank Williams featured in this as well. Now, the biggest thing that you have here is there is a surprise uh, appearance by Dolly Parton at Jed's birthday party. And so she sings happy birthday to you. And then she also has one of her songs that she plays in full for this party. And you can't go wrong with Dolly Parton. Everybody knows who she is. She's a national treasure. And so that's my argument for having the better music in this film. Boo for this category. I'm really not happy about this one. So you already brought it up. Probably the most memorable thing from the Adams Family TV show is the theme song. Everybody remembers the theme song if you ever saw that show. How are you not going to use that in the movie? That's it's a ter- terrible decision. It should have showed up somewhere in the movie. Like the song or not, it did it would have fit and they should have used it and so instead of not only do they not use that but they come up with maybe the worst made for a movie song of all time with i don't even remember what it's called the mc hammer song and it's just an abomination and you know what hammer get paid i'm not even mad about that but i think that if you're looking at it with any kind of objectivity that is a terrible song. So I know that what I'm supposed to be doing is arguing for the music of the Adams Family, but come on, I have to acknowledge that that really it's it's killed by just a couple of terrible decisions. Because talk about what you want about the score and the music that was made just for uh, the the movie itself. Fine, it, it's just wow, that was easy. I, didn't I know what yeah, to do. I'm torpedoing myself on this one. I I can't make an argument for it. Something I do want to bring up, and this is not anything to... This is another reason to argue against Adam's family. They have the recital and the kids are singing uh, Getting to Know You from The King and I. I forgot how much of an earworm that was and how much I hated hearing that song over and over in my head until it came back when we watched the movie. It's terrible. And um, thank you for making my argument. So So what are we saying? I I get that point? No. (laughs) Beverly Hillbillies take the lead. Oh, no. Well, let's get into round six. Round six is production. Well, in The Addams Family, the production's really cool. Obviously, you have to make the the house, the, the mansion that they live in, has to have this mystique to it, and you have to capture 
uh, all of the the atmosphere for a house that can essentially on the inside transform and take you to all these different locations and there are magical books all over the place and uh, and you know to to capture that uh, crazy nature of all the characters complemented and so so all the sets are are pretty entertaining uh, the costumes are really well done I felt like that was well designed for the characters I I think that Adam's family had pretty good production. So the Adams had this nice mansion, but you wouldn't want to live in it. You know where you want to live? That baller mansion in the Beverly Hillbillies that the Clampett stayed at. $22 million. This house was also featured in the movie The Bodyguard, in case you recognize it there. But what they did with this mansion is that they also incorporated some of the Clampett's lifestyle into it without cheapening in the mansion, without making it tacky, because you basically got a zoo. There's these animals. I don't know where they got them from, but you've got like an orangutan and some raccoons, a bunch of other animals like living in the mansion with them. And then Granny has her own special place where she makes her concoctions and her elixirs. So I think it just worked really well into, into their home. And the other thing that was pretty fun was the vehicles. So they had that old, I think it's an Oldsmobile or a little beaten down vehicle that they take all the way from Arkansas into California. And they do a really good job recreating the truck that they also had in the TV show. And it was really fun to have uh, Jethro, he repurposes that vehicle and turns it into this big giant truck with the tires and... I don't even know how tall it was, but it got to be used whenever it uh, crashed the wedding. So those two things were pretty fun to have. So who did better in production? Was that the uh, super nice mansion or the uh, haunted house in the Adams family? Yeah, I mean, to make to make that house be almost a character in the movie in the way that it chews up and spits out the, the antagonists uh, is pretty impressive. And that, along with some of the, the costume design for, for the other characters, I would give the edge to, to Adam's family on this one. I believe so. It did a lot more with atmosphere and mood than what you had in the Beverly Hillbillies. So I'll give you that one. We'll tie it up. And nice. we're going to go into round seven. All right, I'm going to elbow my way in here. I know it's not my turn to go first. <laughs> okay, go ahead. By the way, round seven is legacy. So how do they carry on a legacy with that movie? So everybody recognized the, the recognizes the Adamses, and and when one thing about the movie itself that the studio that had the rights initially that was developing the movie they actually didn't really even believe in it because once it started to go a little bit over budget they were looking for a way to cut their losses and actually sold it to another company and that company got to reap the rewards because it made almost four times as much as its budget domestically and would go on to to spawn a sequel. You have the, uh, anybody, I like to make connections to games because that's my thing. And so I, I think that if you spent time in arcades in the 90s, you probably remember an Adams Family pinball machine that, that came along after the movie. And that's one of the best sellers of all time. And so I, Legacy is pretty strong for, for this one. What do you got? I think if you just said that they made a sequel from the Adams <laughs> Family movie... That would win the round right there. Because I got nothing. I was trying to reach hard to see if there was any influence from that movie that helped with 
further productions, other reboots, and I, I had a hard time finding anything. The only thing I could say about Legacy is that every time I've come across this movie, it just makes me miss Jim Varney because he passed away in 2000, only at the age of 50, but I found him to be very endearing. I loved him in the Ernest movies. He also voiced Slinky Dog in the first two Toy Story movies, and so it was just a shame that uh, he didn't live longer and uh, entertain us with more of his his personality and his humor. But other than that, I really could not find anything. So I think that suddenly wins it. Yeah. Well, if I could just chime in quickly on the whole in memoriam section here, sort of. We had uh, Raul Julio, who we were talking about earlier, who was Gomez Adams. And uh, so there was a cool anecdote where he was very recognizable. And so people would, would see him in real life and, okay, Gomez Adams or whatever, they would want to talk to him, especially kids who had seen the movie because it was a popular one with, with the kids. And he always got a lot of joy when he would be recognized as Gomez by the kids. He really took pride in being able to entertain uh, the children. And so he also died pretty young. I think he was 54, had I believe stomach cancer and it was actually not that long after the movie it was only a few years but you know he did get to have that that acknowledgement uh, from the kids that that meant a lot to him and I thought that was kind of cool both patriarchs for these movies they've come and gone and they were pretty great well that's it this debate is over Adam's family is the better of the two films four to three I'm probably going to post this up on my IG stories. And the weird thing that's been happening is that you voters, all my followers, are voting against what we decide on this. I don't know if they're, <laughs> I don't know what the criteria is. I don't know what their thought process is, but please share your votes when I post that up there. If you have your opinions on, if you agree with us, if you don't, you can email me at semifailedwriter at gmail.com. I also have my website, semifailedwriter.com. Instagram, Twitch at semifailedwriter. I'm near the end of Metro Exodus, and then I got to figure out the next game that I'm going to play. But please check me out. I've got 24 followers, I'm trying to get to 50. I want to be an affiliate, so come check me out there. Again, happy Father's Day, and thank you, Eric, for making this the dumbest film debate ever. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we're going at the end. Okay, yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, guys, and uh, I will see you in a couple of weeks. Y'all come back now, you hear?